Simply work, 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 work. Amass all things in your brain so that you can... That is the... To amass so much information in your brain and to acquire the ability how to do some so-called intelligent things such as write computer programs which is very popular. To do that, then uh, you get that training so you can just go and work for someone. They'll kick you out just without any notice. It's all depending on money. Isn't it? I mean, even on the material platform, there's no good feeling. There's no relationship with anyone. It's just based on work and get money. And what the purpose of life, that human life, the intelligence that we have in human life, that is meant for understanding who we are, what the purpose of life is. And no such consciousness. And if you bring this up, then you're ah, it's a waste of time. We're going to the pub and we're going to drink. Extremely foolish. So our proposition is very simple. Human life is meant for God-realization. God means Krishna. You can realize Krishna very easily by chanting Hare Krishna. But the modern civilization, so-called civilization, they're not at all civil. The so-called civilization, they'll work you so hard that you don't have time for chanting Hare Krishna. And even if you, they'll work you so hard that at the end of the day, even if you have a little time, you'll be so exhausted and your consciousness will be so much down that you won't feel like chanting Hare Krishna. The only thing thing you can do is flop in front of a TV or uh, go to a bar or something like that. It's a soul-killing civilization. Hand on mouth? Your hands on your mouth? Yes. Don't rush it. In basic training. These things they don't train. So it's a soul killing civilization. No need to work so hard for food, clothing, shelter, all these things. But they've made it like that. They've made it like that. And what food you're getting, that's also not fresh. It's all. It's neither fresh, it was... The vegetables, you're never going to get fresh. Fresh means you take it from the ground, cut it, cook it, offer it to Krishna and take. That's fresh. But uh, they'll be at least several hours old, minimum. If not days old, the vegetables. And and then... uh, That's also full of so many chemicals. There's no flavor. 
There's, no, there's very little nutritional value. Water means, uh, drinking water means you have to buy it. Isn't that ridiculous? You have to buy water. <laughs> but even that, they say it's, it's pure and all this, but it's not. That's also, if you put it in plastic, that immediately becomes impure. And the fact that it's already... The plastic also gives some chemical reaction. And the fact that it's uh, already days old means that it's also lost its vitality. There's no prime, dead. And the air you breathe, you can't eat. You may be a millionaire, but you, ca- you can't get, you can't buy fresh air. A millionaire or a beggar, they have to breathe the same polluted air. So what is the advancement of this civilization? You have to work so hard so you can get some money to buy some rotten vegetables which poison you and some water which also poisons you. And the atmosphere you live in poisons you. And and not only is your body poisoned, but your consciousness is polluted and poisoned by all the garbage things from the TV, the newspapers, the advertisements, from, from the people we associate with. This is demoniac life. So don't be enamored by this. Sometimes I see even our devotees, they're chanting Hare Krishna. But somehow they're thinking that there's something good about this so-called civilization. And they think, I will be a better person if I get a better job. Better person means you get more money you can use in Krishna's service. But it doesn't, it doesn't. It's not that someone's better because they have a PhD or someone doesn't have a PhD. This is all superficial. You shouldn't subscribe to the values of this misdirected civilization. You should subscribe to the values given by Krishna and Bhagavad Gita. This is reality. Reality doesn't mean sitting inside an air-conditioned office fiddling around with some machines. That is not reality. Reality doesn't mean getting some money and... What reality means to know that I am an eternal servant of Krishna. This is reality. We have to be convinced of this. If we think that this is reality, this modern life we're living, then we're condemning ourselves to suffering. Because modern life, especially, I mean, life in this material world anyway means suffering. But in the modern world, more so. Now they've made a situation which they show in the advertisements everyone's like this but in reality you don't see like that only in the advertisements on the TV or maybe if you if you go to a party or something but that's also all artificial no one's actually happy sometimes they become surprised they see someone's suicide case they say but they were all you know, they were always happy and smiling and joking and laughing but inside such a social milieu that you're not allowed, you're not supposed to express that you're miserable. You're supposed to show that you're happy. It's it's socially unacceptable to express the fact that actually we're miserable inside. And you always have to show. You have to walk up, slap someone on the back. Hi, how are you? Oh, everything's wonderful. You have to show like this. Tell some jokes. It's all false. Inside people. Because it's all superficial. You just smile at someone or crack a joke. 
But there's actually no feeling. There's no care, there's no concern, there's nothing. It's all absolutely superficial. I know very well. I was brought up in such a society which has now come to India some some 30 years later after I escaped from that. <laughs> now, India has caught up with the West in having an absolutely useless way of life. India is famous in the world. Actually, if you go to the West, people think of India. How do they think of India? They think of poverty, heat. It may or may not be justified. It is, but they think of poverty, uh, heat, uh, medieval kind of consciousness by which people engage in riots and kill each other on the basis of religion. Uh, they think of disease and uh, the, all these different things. Is how India is. And also, the one thing that India, if there's any respect for India in the West, there's not much. It's for, there's very little respect for India. People in India, they think, it, uh, the only thing that there's any respect for India is because of her religious culture. And that, they're throwing out. Somehow Indian people think that, well, the people of the world will respect us if we have industry and all these things. They don't respect because they know you're just imitating us. Why should they respect you? If someone, if you imitate someone, that means that you're giving respect to them. Imitation is the highest form of flattery. But you, you're not catching up. You may think, well, we have so many software engineers, but you're, you're simply uh, in the pay of some Western companies or Hanukkah. They're taking advantage that you have some kind of intelligence and you, they can employ you at a lower rate than they can employ their people in the West. But all the profits go back there. So, intelligent in one sense, but fundamentally not very intelligent. If you're simply in the pay, that means a shudra, actually. Paid. So, they're exploiting, taking advantage, and really exploiting, and really working you till you drop, practically, literally. So India is actually in a very, very bad situation. I just got this information. There's one organization based in Berlin called Transparency International, which they they rate. Of course, it may be not be very perfect, but they have some system rating what are the levels of honesty and corruption in different countries. And India came 71, 71st most honest country in the world. That means way down the list. I mean, under that must come the African countries and Pakistan like that. But if you consider that India, the one thing India is respected in the world for is the dharma, or the original very high culture. But if there's rampant dishonesty and corruption, that means that dharma is wrong. There is no dharma. Secular state means religion should be kept out of politics. But there's no such thing that irreligion should be kept out. Irreligion is Irreligion is part of life. If they keep religion out of the education, religion is not kept out. So it's a very, very bad situation.
They were very uh, Krishna conscious, the persons I discussed with, no doubt. Very, very much into that. No, some of them are. That I gave you, I, I was just surprised to see there was so much into playing cricket. But some of them were, were very serious. Mm. Oh, is it? Mm. Well, that's outside Madhva's principles. And, and Madhva's, actually the Madhva's, the strict Madhva followers, they, they do Nirja, as we have that's the tradition. In Udupi still many are doing like that. The Swamis do like that. And many others also. Maybe they think the Brahmacharis aren't ready for it or something. It's difficult to say. But actually this process is given by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. That is the... Uh, that's practical for the modern age. To follow all these strict rules, like in the Madhva Sampadaya or Sri Sampadaya, no one can do nowadays. It's not possible to follow. Maybe possible someone living in a village somewhere. But you see, all the rules you have to follow, just like you can only take water from a pure well, and where is such a thing nowadays? So, if you're strictly to follow that tradition, then follow so many things. Yeah, the right time, 12.30. You're also running on a fast watch. Basic activities, how to practice Krishna consciousness. But details, one has to see the nectar of devotion. Do you have that book also? I have all the books. So, nectar of devotion is also a very important book for practically executing devotional service. But definitely chanting, not just start chanting. You're chanting with Mala? But please do it. Uh, there's one uh, saying, Anya Deva Shrainai Tomare Kahinubai E Bhakti Paramakaram. That if one doesn't worship different gods and only worships Krishna, if you only take shelter of Krishna, then you can very quickly achieve Bhakti. Because Bhakti means Sarvadhaman Pritya Mam. 
Ekam Sharanam Raja. So, actually, Sharanam means at one place. You can't take shelter in many places. It's not possible. You can't be under ten umbrellas at once. You can only be under one at once. So, we should take shelter at the lotus feet of Krishna exclusively. In many temples, yeah. But if we think that they're all the same, shelter of them all, then we won't get the right result. If we understand the devas are there to serve Krishna, that is correct understanding. They're not independent gods. So that's a very important understanding without which one cannot properly make progress in bhakti. It's not possible. It's just like if someone's got you know, liver cancer from drinking, then uh, you can give him treatment, but if he goes on drinking, it's not going to work. So in the same way, if we're doing bhakti, which means explosive devotion to Krishna, and that... That means you have to give up the other things. So if you go on worshipping the devas, then you can't actually make progress. It's just the same as a, a liver patient, um, someone's got swollen liver or whatever due to drinking, and he goes on drinking. The, the, the treatment won't work. It just simply won't work. Because the very cause of the condition has not been given up. Treatment can only be effective if one abstains from that which has caused the disease. Otherwise it won't be affected. So in the same way, bhakti yoga is the treatment for the disease of material life. So if one continues with the same misconception, then actually you can't have problems. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. That's all right. There is a common only the sense in him. Rajasya Janakadeha. Janakadeha. Not only Janak, but other kings also. So that's all right. We don't say you have to take sannyas, then you become perfect. We don't say that. We never say that. If you become perfect, that in itself is equal to sannyas. Janak Maharaj is greater than many sannyasis. So you can remain in family life, but not in sansar. Generally these two words are used interchangeably. But one should, sansar means that which causes us to rotate within material life. But our family life should be Krishna Shamsha Karo Chariyanacha Krishna Mata Krishna Pita Jivedaya Namaruchi Sarva Dharmasa. So one should have family life centered on Krishna and Chariyanacha. That means giving up all sinful activities. Sinful activities means meat eating, gambling, illicit sex and intoxication. Krishna Shankara Chariyamacha Jive Doya Namuruchi Sarvadharmasa. One should be merciful to other living beings. 
That means by distributing Srila Prabhupada's books or helping this Krishna conscious movement. Name Ruchi, one should chant the holy names with taste. This is the essence of religion. So even uh, sannyasis in our movement, we are also, our aim is to join a family again. Is that proper for a sannyasi? We want, I'm sannyasi, but I want my aim in taking sannyasi is to join a family, Krishna's family. <laughs> Transcendental family. Actually, it's not human beings and God, but all living beings. We are, we are all jivas. Even the ant, the jiva is there. So I could have been an ant in my last life. But in the human form of life, we have sufficient intelligence to think about these things. So the basic relationship is that, yes, he is master and we are servants. But when that relationship develops, then it may be that we also enter into relationship with him as friend, maybe as his parent, and maybe as lover. When we're very intimate, that's possible. But at the present stage, because at the moment we're thinking, Ishvara Hamaham Bhogi, I am the master, I am the controller, I am the enjoyer. Therefore, in the beginning stages of bhakti, we should cultivate that God, Krishna, is our master. Then as we develop, and you can see like Arjuna was the friend of Krishna, Nanda Maharaj, father of Krishna, gopis, lovers of Krishna. But that requires a great purity of consciousness to enter into such a relationship. Gradually, step by step. In the beginning we should cultivate that. I am a servant. But in the beginning a loving relationship also, not, not fearful. We don't have to fear. We should know he is our loving master. No, we're not very different. We're very similar, actually. We're similar in nature. He's he's a jiva. We are jiva. He is jiva. We say Bhagavan. There is an intrinsic difference in that he's in a superior position. But he's a living being. We're a living being. So. No, actually when we say jiva, that means we're inferior. But when I, when I say Bhagavan is jiva, that means he's not tiny like us, but he's unlimited, but he's a living being. Means just like as living beings we have desires, feelings, friends, love, emotions, likes, dislikes. He has also. He's not whimsical. But he's also a person. So definitely we're different to him in as much as he's very great and we're very small. But we're very similar to him in as much as he's a person and we're also a person. And when the relationship of love becomes very close and strong, then that he's very great and we're very small, that becomes forgotten. Just like, you see, some great 
some great person, he may have a very close relationship maybe with his um, driver, something like that. He may have a very close, so that their status is very different, but they may, they may joke and laugh and so many things. So when we become very close in love for Krishna, then that he's very great, he forgets, and that we're very small, we forget. That has to be developed, step by step. But it's true, the love of Krishna is not simply some formal, dry ritual. It's a dynamic, loving relationship. So, please, come forward in bhakti. You can all do it. Ramanand Prabhu is coming here daily, so you can take advantage. You can tell you what to do. It's not difficult, it's very easy actually. Bhakti is very easy. You chant Hare Krishna. Self question. Opinion, opinion, opinion is not, my opinion isn't very meaningful because I'm just a tiny little being. But we should follow the opinion of great Acharyas. Aham Brahmasmi means I'm spiritual. doesn't mean I'm God. In Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna says, Par, uh, Arjuna says about Krishna, Param Brahma. Param Brahma. Yes. Pavitram Paramam Bhavan. You are the Param Brahma. So we are Brahma means we are not this body. The body is temporary. I am a spiritual jiva, living being. I am eternal. That doesn't mean that I am Param Brahma. Not like that. That's a mystery. Yes. That should not be misunderstood. By imagination we cannot convert ourselves into God. It's a ludicrous idea. We are all God. Absurd idea. Sense <laughs> of self-realization? Yes. Did you did you read any of those books of Prabhupada? Yeah. He's an engineer student. Yeah, but it doesn't Computer mean engineer. that doesn't mean he's reading yeah, Prabhupada. He is books. doing. He has asked some genuine questions on yeah. I never asked him about Oh, that's why I'm asking. If you read. <laughs> did you read any of Prabhupada's books? Why don't you read? Do you have that science of self-realization? Yeah, we'll bring it here. Uh, why don't you bring that? I'll show that to you. That's, that's a great book for, you know, young people, who, especially... Science of realization. Science of self-realization. That's, it's, it presents the ancient Vedic knowledge in a modern context, in a very straightforward way. It's very popular, actually, especially among young, educated people. The science of self-realization. It discusses... Uh, the knowledge of the Vedic literature in, in, like I say, in modern context, how how it relates to modern society, how the knowledge of Bhagavad Gita is, can practically solve the problems of modern society. And the old Advait controversy put into context, all these things. So, that's probably the best book for you know, young educated people. Gita is it's a little tough in the beginning. There are many rules in Shastra which are given because whatever we do, there's a karmic reaction to that. So
So if you perform what is called punya karma, you get a so-called good reaction, and if you perform pap karma, you get a bad reaction. But over and above that, as Krishna explains in depth, the mystery of Bhagavad Gita, that's the, that's the crux of Bhagavad Gita, that overall what is good is that which is pleasing to Krishna, and that which is not good is that which is not pleasing to him. And that may, you see, what in one situation may be good, may in another situation be bad. Just like killing in general is bad. But on the battlefield, if you kill the uh, aggressive attackers, that's good. To remove someone's eye from their body is not good. But if after death you do so, to put in someone else's body, that's alright. But if you do it while they're still alive, it's horrible. So, you have to under- everything has to be understood in context. Actually, can- human life is very complex. That's why we find Mahabharata is very complex, because there are different rules... Sometimes they come in conflict. Generally to tell a lie is bad, but sometimes if you tell a lie you can save someone's life. That comes in Mahabharata. One man, he, he, didn't, he made a vow not to tell a lie, and then one man was running past his house, and the robbers were chasing him. So he ran past, and then the robbers came and said, Did you see that man running? He said, Yes, where did he go? He went that way. They caught him and killed him. You should have told a lie. You should have pointed him in the other direction. So the man who didn't tell a lie went to hell after he died because he didn't tell a lie in that circumstance. So it can be quite complex. That's why you need a guru, actually. Someone's supposed to guide you in all the details. Someone who's more experienced. There is. The absolute good is to do that which is pleasing to Krishna. And generally that will include don't tell lies, don't steal, don't cheat don't kill. But in some cases, uh, that, may be ha- that may have to be done. Also. So what's the definition of good? The definition of good is to do that which is pleasing to Krishna. Because he's in the absolute position. And actually, whatever we do, for Krishna's pleasure, that is for the good of all living beings. That is the absolute thing. There has to be some absolute position, otherwise the whole, exist, the whole existence, everything is meaningless. Unless there's some absolute, then everything becomes, then there's no meaning to anything. But that also is not a logical proposition, because we see so much order in the whole universe. You couldn't study mathematics or engineering or science or anything unless there was some basic symmetry within existence. So that suggests that there is an ultimate absolute. Otherwise, how is there, how is there symmetry at every level of existence, that we, physical existence that we study? There wouldn't be any scientific laws unless there was an overall symmetry. So that suggests that there's an ultimate absolute, which scientists are trying to find. They're trying to find the one law which, the one law of everything, but they can't find it, and they won't find it, because ultimately that which is absolute and that which holds everything together is non-material, that is Krishna. Ultimately, the absolute truth can be measured, only to a certain level. 
And even, of course, I don't know much about science, but from what I understand, in uh, that uh, research in the field of quantum theory has shown ultimately, ultimately you can't define anything materially. You can't actually define. If you go deeper and deeper and deeper, then they find that there's, there's, it's undefinable. Whenever we define anything, we do so in terms of certain accepted axioms. But then we find at the uh, subatomic level that doesn't apply. So, it seems to defy reality. But, uh, anyway, the, the ancient Vedic Rishis, ancient and modern also, there are still Vedic Rishis today. They, uh, they come in on a completely different level. Modern science is, is based on the supposition that everything can be understood simply by observation and hypothesis. Observation, hypothesis, and then come to a conclusion. But the conclusion that, again, they find something which, which uh, rebuts the conclusion. So again, they're lost. And again, they go on researching, researching, researching. But the Vedic Rishis, they come from a different angle. They say that ultimately, the absolute truth is not measurable in material terms at all. That, it's, that doesn't mean that it's not understandable, but that it's not measurable in, in simply material terms. We presume that, uh, or the, the empiric method presumes that everything can be uh, measured, everything can be... That, that means that ultimately it comes down to what we can perceive with our senses. But actually, if we're to consider, then, why should we consider that all of reality falls within the perspective of our senses? There may be so many things which we can't see, which are here now. There may be different dimensions of existence. We can only see within a certain light range. We can only hear within a certain sound range. So, and our intelligence is also very limited. We don't know how much, and we can only see anyway, looking outward, we can only see this certain portion of a vast universe. And looking inwards, we can only see down to a certain level. So actually we have very limited sensory perception, we have very limited intelligence and powers of reasoning. So why should we presume that all of reality is within our powers of sensory perception combined with our hypothesis? It's not a very good. It's, it's not a very good assumption. It would be more reasonable to consider that there is a lot more to reality than that which we can simply measure by scientific methods. So that's the platform that the Vedic Rishis come from. And actually, that's uh, even if we take it from a what we call a, a rational perspective, then it's quite acceptable to consider that just. God's a long way. Just think about us first of all. But this body is only made of chemicals. So what gives it life? Where does the life come from? Is there anything that the doctors can say? Is there any component of the of the body that here is life? You can't find it. No, biochemical, whatever. But uh, there's nothing. You can say that when all the, when all this structure is there, there will be life. Yeah. But, 
what actually is life? And what is the source of that life? You can't say. No scientific definition. But you'll see in all languages of the world, when someone dies, they say, gone away. Isn't it? In every language. How do you say in Malayalam? Yeah, they say poi, poi. In Canada also? Chalagyao. We don't know. So, but in every language you'll find they say, gone away. Why do you say gone away? The same body is there. Why do they say gone away? The body is there. What's the difference between a living body and a dead body? The difference is that the Atma is gone away. It's a very simple thing to understand. So, the Atma is non-material. You can't measure it. There's no microscope that you can put and find the Atma. It's non-material. It's a different kind of entity altogether. It's not matter. Matter by nature is dead. We say biochemical, but the same chemicals that are in this body could just as well be in that stone. The, the same chemical, when this body, what is it? It's uh, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, hydrogen, these are the... Yeah, so they, they, that, when the body dies, then they will recombine into different forms that may become coal. <laughs> that what you get the coal, which you dig up from the oil, that at some point in time the same chemicals were in some living beings. So what's the difference? It's the, the body is only chemicals. And the difference, a living body and a dead body, or a living body and the flaw, the difference is that the jiva is there. As long as the jiva is there, the body functions. When, it's, when the jiva leaves, there may be some, just like the, when you turn the fan off, it may go on. Actually, the energy is left, so it stops. So in the same way, when the jiva leaves, then it may be there for a short time blood circulation system may run on for a very short time. But actually the jiva is So it's a, we can understand you know, it's not irrational to presume that there is a non-material entity within the body called the, which we can call the jiva. And it's also quite rational to presume that there is some order of this universe. There's so much order within the universe so it's quite rational to presume that someone set it up and someone's maintaining it. So it's... It's not irrational to presume these things, but to find out knowledge, we won't find out knowledge of God with microscopes, telescopes, or any such thing. Then we have to use the proper methodology. The methodology is to hear from self-realized persons. That is the system. It doesn't serve in any purpose, but we have decided that we want to be separate from God. Because we are separate from Him, therefore we have come to this place. He's given us a place to be separate from Him. There's no pleasure for Him. His abode is below the now. This, this material world is like a prison. The purpose is that because we have chosen to be separate from Him. Therefore we come here and we're separate. And we try to enjoy, but we don't enjoy. 
Otherwise, there's no meaning to life except to revive our lost relationship with Krishna. Otherwise, there's no meaning. What is there to know? You live, you die, and what's it? What's it? Materially speaking, there's no purpose. Simply like that. You live, you get born, you grow up, you learn something, you die. What is the purpose? No purpose. Watch TV, play soccer, go to a party. What's the purpose? There's no... That's what I'm saying. For him, it's, it's, there's no benefit for him. But because we who are part and parcel of him have chosen to live separately from him, he has given us facility to do so. He doesn't get anything from us. He has nothing to gain from us. But we are the losers because we are separate from him. So we can improve our position by serving him and going to Kolokana. He doesn't need us. <laughs> He has nothing to gain from us. That was a big get together. Yeah. So many people. 